On this episode of Surviving Outside Sales, we talk to one of the best laser reps in the country, Kent Harshbarger, an executive territory manager with Candela Medical. He's going to run you through all of his processes and what makes him one of the top performers in the country, and he's going to share his advice on what you should do if you want to follow in his footsteps. As always, if you want to subscribe, you can also hit the like button, share a comment, let me know what you think about it. Now, let's get to it. On with the show, intro. The Surviving Outside Sales Podcast, hosted by Mike O'Kelly, presented by Rhythm AI. The goal is to get in, dominate, then get out. Surviving Outside Sales, now on with the show. Welcome to the Surviving Outside Sales Podcast. My guest today is a fantastic uh, sales rep that I met several years ago, Kent Harshberger, an executive territory manager for Candela Medical. Kent, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today, Mike. Good to awesome. see you. It's thank been a while. It has been a while. And thank you so much for joining. To our listeners out there in the Surviving Outside Sales community, I met Kent several years ago when I was making the transition in from one industry to another. And the industry I was getting into was the aesthetic industry. And I got some great advice from people saying, when you get into the industry, what you have to do is you have to partner up with the products that go hand in hand or complement the products you're selling. So in this case, it was laser reps. And I reached out to six laser reps and one responded and that was Kent. I said, I'd love to talk to you, grab some coffee, sit down and discuss the industry and maybe share some things that maybe we can partner with. And so I thank you for that because you were the only one that was willing to meet with me and, and frankly, you're the only one that was willing to, to respond to me very quickly. So thank you for that, because you definitely made my transition to the aesthetic industry a lot better. And since then, you know, he's been at his company for about five years. All he has done is get award after award after award. So to say that he is dominating from our tagline at Surviving Outside Sales is an understatement. So Kent, thank you so much. And before you've worked at Candell and you're crushing it, Let's go back and kind of give the audience a little background on yourself. Yeah. So for me, yeah, you know, I'm from West Virginia, born and raised. You know, been married for a little over three years, been with my wife Ashley for just about 10 years, but we're both from the same hometown. I actually played D2 football my first year at Fairmont State, then actually finished uh, graduated at West Virginia University. So go Mountaineers. <laughs> and after that, I actually moved up to Pittsburgh and ended up starting my career working for a division of Xerox, transferred to another sister core, and then ultimately ended up at Candela. And I'm still here. Very nice. And I, I will touch on Xerox in a little bit because I just feel, you know, if you're, if one of the things we preach about in surviving outside sales is getting a very great training program. And I've heard that the copier companies have excellent training. Was that the case with Xerox? Yeah. So honestly, when anybody asks me, I, I personally, when I'm trying to hire people, I want to look for somebody that's got a Xerox type of background selling copiers. Sometimes I'll look at payroll, sometimes insurance. But if I find somebody that's really went through like our division, because so there was Xerox and then there was a company called Global Imaging Systems. And they are actually the company that had 46 local dealers all across the country with over 200 offices. And when I first started, I mean, my, my, all my friends, you talk to them, they're all like, 
I'm not surprised Kent's in sales. Like, because I used to <laughs> be a sales affiliate actually when I was in college and I used to sell for a company called Cellucor. Nobody knew of them then, but they know of them now. And I used to actually have to do YouTube videos and I would get a promo code. It's funny because you see all these other programs <laughs> like Rodin and Fields and everybody's a sales affiliate these days. But I used to get made fun of by my friends all the time because I was always posting a message on Facebook with my promo code and obviously I compensated and they would get a discount every time they did it. But when I went through and actually started with the company called Amcom that was in Pittsburgh, it was the most strenuous sales process from making cold calls, teleprospecting, having an intro appointment, and then getting to like your final meeting or business assessment as they would call it. And we did that locally. And then what they did actually for a lot of us, we were about 12 months into it. They sent us to our parent company, Global Imaging Systems in Chicago. And every single day they would take your peers from sister cores and divide you up in groups. Every single time you were always with somebody else. What was really unique about it is we, you have a list, top 25 accounts that you brought with you. So you would go through that whole set uh, sales cycle process and you would do it in front of your peers and every single time it was in front of a different group of peers making phone calls usually had five that you would call each day trying to schedule appointments while everybody else was sitting right next to you listening to those calls and in addition to that we actually had our corporate global trainer she actually was playing the customer role on the very last day where they communicated to us that we were going to actually be recorded for an intro appointment. And it was going to be sent back to our, our local trainer for whatever sister core we worked for. So it was pretty intense, you know, and for me, a lot of the stuff came very natural, but when you're, you're in that audience and, you know, you're sitting here and talking and you're sipping the Kool-Aid of managed print services and talking about like, you know, this big revolutionary assessment method methodology is they like to call it when I was selling copiers and management services and also document management software, you know, it was strenuous. I mean, so you felt like once you got through that and you did really well, which I actually did really well, some people didn't. I mean, I watched them bomb, crash, fail, but they turned out to actually be really good reps. But I think it sets you up for any future career path that, that you would take. When I, when I came back, I met with a CFO of a huge assisted living facility. He's like, I don't even know what the hell managed print services is or revolutionary assessment methodology. But he's like, it sounds like I want it. You know, and like me and my manager looked at each other and we just started laughing because I was sipping the Kool-Aid from that training. But it also taught me a lot, you know, and that's for me, I look for that because I know how tough it is to get the door slammed in your face. Gatekeeper doesn't even want to see you. They're not making eye contact. You're getting hung up on on the phone all the time because it, it's a commodity. It's a copier, whatever the lease is about to come up on contract. Can you save us money? Does your company have a good reputation? So I did that for about six and a half years. I actually transferred from Amcom down to Carolina Office Systems, where I was there for just over four years down in Charleston, South Carolina. And I actually had to start a healthcare. Like they weren't really that involved with GPO contracts and I didn't realize like how much I was going to be taking on, you know, so I had to get on a lot of global calls and kind of learn that whole process and understanding contracts. And during all of that, I was actually interviewing because my dream was always to get into medical device sales. I just didn't know what, what I wanted to get into. I got, I had so many recruiters. This is the thing that I always find funny now is 
I had so many recruiters that were either rude to me, <laughs> wouldn't respond to me, or just be like, you know, not interested, maybe professional. But for the most part, like the responses I got were astonishing. And then to make it even worse is when I finally said, okay, I need to wait two years. I had somebody reach out to me while I was in Charleston and I actually interviewed with Stryker. Mm-hmm. And I, you, you and I were talking, you know, previously, we were just talking about people we've interacted with. I still to this day was trying to look up and see who this guy was because I'm hoping I cross paths with him one day because he made me wait. He was sitting across watching TV. Like, I think there's a sporting event going on. He made me wait for over 30 minutes to finally come and sit down in front of me. And the amount of ego that was involved, like I laugh at it now because of what I'm doing and how successful I am. And I just wish that we could cross paths again, but you know, it also told me to take a step back, you know, and be patient and make sure that whatever it is that I really did my research, make sure it was a good fit. Coincidentally, my buddy that I went to West Virginia University with, he was working at Candela at the time. And I was actually interviewing with a competitor. And the recruiter actually told me that this is a one off for him for the company that he's recruiting for. He actually does most of his recruiting for Candela. And I was like, well, I have a buddy that works at Candela. And he's like, who's your buddy? And I told him and he immediately was like, I'll call you right back. And calls me, he's, oh my God, you know, just dropping F-bombs, you name it. And was all pumped up because he's like, Tony's my boy, you know? And so it immediately, he's like, we're, we're going to get you into this business. You know, and that to me, I think it helps because I, I stayed in touch with Tony and and honestly, my VP, you know, who was my RD at the time, like they took a risk on me. You know, they trusted Tony. They they planted the seed to try to convince me to move to Louisville. I wasn't sure that my you know, wife, who we we're just still dating at the time, I wasn't sure if she was going to be ready to move from the beach and have her dream job scenario taken away from her to go to Louisville and be around horses and you know, have even worse allergies. Mm-hmm. But but thankfully, you know, she was, and she also didn't know. You know, two weeks later, I was planning on proposing too. So you know, kind of worked out. But yeah, it was. I would, if there was one thing I would take away from it is just making sure that, you know, you're staying in touch with people because you never know what, where they'll end up and, and it could open up a door for you, which thankfully it did for me. And it's a very tough business, but I think because of my experience in copiers, you know, it really helped propel me and make mm-hmm. me more prepared because, you know, sales 101 and just the amount of like touches it takes to get, get an initial meeting. And then you can have a lot of people lie straight to your face and tell you that they're very interested and waste your time. So I think the mental aspect of it, it really prepared me for what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that really is a big, you know, I would say what's the word I'm looking for, but really a big reason that I'm so successful right now is going yeah. through the copies. I agree. And it's, it's interesting that a lot of the successful people um, that I've found in sales, not all, but a lot, they have a similar background and it's an athlete. And the reason why athletes, like you were an athlete, I was an athlete, is because we deal with failure. And I think when you push your bodies to their physical limits, I think your mind also gets pushed simultaneously, even though we don't think about it. And so when you're doing the Xerox, you said it's, it's sales 101. I think the people that are the most successful in careers in sales 
are the ones that go work for those companies that teach the sales 101. And everybody thinks it's about just the training. It's just the, oh, I was at training for a week and they told me how to talk to somebody. Did they give you the reps? So my first major sales job um, was enterprise. You wanna talk about reps? Oh my gosh, the last store that I was managing, I was probably interacting with 250, 300 people a day. And I wasn't particularly dealing with them, but that's how many people were coming in the branch. But the amount of phone calls, the amount of times I talked to people on the phone, just it was the volume over a four-year period. And talk about getting reps. Malcolm Gladwell famously created the 10,000 hour rule. Well, I got my 10,000 hours. You got your 10,000 hours at Xerox. And so we talk about the surviving outside sales, the three phases. Phase one is getting in. And if you're getting in, Take Kent's advice. Go to a company that does sales 101 and it will teach you and you're going to get doors slammed on you. That's okay. That You have to go through that in order to become successful later on in sales. You've got to create that tougher exterior, that tougher shell because sales is not all rainbows and, and, and lollipops. Like it is... It is hard. It is extremely hard. It is mentally and physically grueling. And so if you're trying to get in, look for those companies, like you said, payroll, copiers, enterprise, anything where you have to do thousands and thousands of calls and transactions. And, yeah. You know, and yeah. a lot of people- And they're, and they're tracked. Yeah. And they're tracked. You know, exactly. that was the thing with me and copiers. It's funny because they're put such a focus on the CRM mm-hmm. that initially I didn't really realize why. And it's funny because now in my current job, I'm probably the one, one of the few that are really, really into Salesforce because it's so easy to use. And like, I see a lot of positives that come from it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say I'm perfect at it, but I used to just always view it on the copier side as being micromanaged, but I didn't realize like how much data and reporting you can get by just keeping that information in there, contacts, exporting, you know, a lot of your contacts, if you need to do e-blast, you know, there's a lot of really valuable information and Mm -hmm. I hated it. We, you know, when I sold copiers, you know, I mean, we had Wednesday calls, eight to 12, you had to make 50 calls minimum, you know, and they wanted you to schedule at least four net new appointments before we could even leave the office, you know? So it was very tough mentally, you know, you always, you know, would be negative in your own head, you know, a lot of times, but I, I also think that not just, a sales job. I think if you get go through something like that, it's going to teach you a lot of adversity. It's mm-hmm. going to teach you, you know, how to get through a lot of the mental aspect of daily life because it is so grueling. And I feel like if you can get through that, you can get through just about anything, you know, on a professional level at least. Mm-hmm. And and you're going to deal with salespeople mm-hmm. on the business side, you know. So you know, I think when you're you've been in their shoes too, I think it prepares you a lot for how to deal with things. Exactly, and. Um... I completely agree with you. When you are used to dealing with failure and you're used to overcoming things, everybody wants to go into something glamorous. Like you mentioned, I'd always want to get in the medical sales field. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people that are in their twenties. I've, I've met a lot of people through LinkedIn. I've met a lot of people in this industry and you kind of ask them like what they're looking for. And yeah, it's great to go to the top of the list. Everybody wants to, I mean, I did it. I played two years of minor league baseball. So I really did not enter the real world until I was 25. And I was bartending a restaurant in the summer. One of my buddy's restaurants, I ran a bar. 
I was not living in the real world. I was still living in a fantasy world. I kind of joke. It's like the mixture of the movie cocktail and major league, you know, yeah. wrapped into one. And then I got out. And the first thing I did was ask my dad, I was like, you know, maybe I'll get into sales. What I really enjoyed was I enjoyed solving people's problems. And so it was interesting when I was bartending, I, I was crushing people in total sales. So my manager was like, how are you doing this? Everybody else has same shift, same hours. How are you doing this? And I said, it's simple. People are coming in for a reason. I am fulfilling a need. They're coming in because they want to relax, have a good time, meet up with friends. And so all I'm doing is facilitating that. And so all I'm doing is putting myself in their shoes. When I go, this is what I'm looking for. So that's all I do. Right. You know, I don't wait until, yeah. like, for instance, I wouldn't wait till somebody was done with a drink until I offered him another one. I'd always try right. to upsell them. I'd ask them about their day. Oh, you sound like you had a rough day. You know, we have tequila shots on special. Do you want a tequila shot? And I guarantee that almost all said yes, yeah. because I offered. Now, I didn't ask them if you want to do a tequila shot after their sixth drink. Yeah. You know, not that I overserve people, but I didn't wait till then. I did it at the beginning. I understood you kind of want to do that at the beginning, like oh, a beer and a shot. And so my, my sales volume was through the roof because I was trying to help them. And so I, I see sales as, as solving people's problems, filling a void. And, and so this was 2003. So LinkedIn's not around. All these other technology things are not around. You know what we had? The Charlotte Observer. <laughs> the Charlotte Observer want ads. And the, and, and the job postings, that's all we had. And so I had, had my dad reach out to some headhunters. And the first question they said was, does your son have sales experience? And my dad's like, no, got to get sales experience. Okay, where do you get sales experience? And what did he say? Go do copiers, enterprise, payroll, door-to-door. -door. Do that for two years and then pharmaceuticals will look at you. Medical sales will look at you. And so back then it was just, that was the only way. The, the medical industry does not have the training, the requisite training to go through the 10,000 hours to deal with a lot of the issues. And so I think that might be an issue with the turnover, why the turnover is so high in the industry. It's because any type of adversity that they run into, maybe they're looking the grass is always greener because there's always, there's so much opportunity out there. So, yeah, and, so, and a lot of a lot of times they don't they don't always realize how lucky they are to be in the position they're in too. I mean, that's mm -hmm. I find. I mean, I'm on my third junior rep, and I would say I made a couple of mistakes in hiring. Honestly, I should have probably let them learn the hard way, mm -hmm. and then that was probably a lesson learned on my part. You know, so I'm valuable. I'm valuing my time more, so I'm trying not to waste as much time with all of that. You know, unless I know they're fully committed. Yeah, that, that makes a big difference. And it's just amazing to me how many people, even the ones that do have some sales experience, when you bring them into these roles, they really don't still realize how lucky they are to be in this position at such a younger age. Because mm -hmm. I would have killed to be in their, their position. Exactly. And so I think that's also, you're getting your reps and getting your practice, but you're also failing at a tremendous level. And I think that failure is, it creates success later. So that can be another reason, like you're saying, that maybe the junior reps you're hiring don't have that. And so the first hint of any kind of adversity or things feel like they're not going what they thought it was going to go, maybe there's a, a lack of persistence and push through that I feel like I've had my entire career because I was forced, it was forced upon me. It was, if you want this job, you have to learn how to push through. And I know hearing right. stories, that's how Xerox 
the representation of Xerox companies that you worked for, that's how they operate. You either push through and find out how to push through or you're gone. And so it was a put up or shut up. And so, right. you know, if you're trying to get into sales, the best thing to do is go to one of those companies because it will teach you how to do that. And then, like you said, if you're a hiring manager, look for people that have that background. Focus on people that have that background. If you've got two candidates, one person that's had background in one of those B2B companies and another candidate that has light experience in the industry, my recommendation, go with the person that's got the Xerox payroll enterprise B2B because they are going to push through and be a much better employee. They're going to take coaching better and they're going to wrap their arms around that opportunity. So I, 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 have, to, I have to brag on Kent because he's not a very braggadocious guy. When I first started in the industry, not only did I meet up with him, but I kept hearing how awesome he was from all of my accounts. I'd walk in and see Candela machines everywhere. And I was, and I said, oh, you got a Candela machine. They're like, oh man, we just love Kent. He's the best rep, all that stuff. And so once I started to meet him and get to know him, I, I, I absolutely agree. Just awesome guy. If you have an opportunity to connect with Kent, I thoroughly believe that you should. At the end of the episode, We'll have in the show notes, we'll have all the handles and we'll have them underneath the video as well on YouTube. So reach out to Kent and, and, and definitely, you know, see if, see if he has any advice for you because wealth of knowledge. But so let's talk about Candela. It's one of the best laser, laser companies out there, quality products. Yeah. How have you been able to keep such a high level of success and consistency? Because every time I turn around, you've got new hardware. For winning awards so yeah walk us through how you approached taking over the territory because your territory is quite large and yeah. how yeah. you've been able to take a very large territory hit the numbers you have but consistently do it year after year after year walk us through your process yeah so i'll tell you a funny story so when i first started with the company john santos he, he's my vp of sales and and he, he was my RD at the time. And I remember I was kind of hitting the panic button because, you know, he, that first full week, you know, we were kind of getting through all the HR stuff. And then I was like, what about business cards? And I have business cards. And clinical training was another like two weeks because that following week was actually the week that I was traveling back to Charleston, South Carolina. My wife and I were going to Universal because that's where I was proposing at Epcot. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I was coming back and going straight to clinical training in Boston. And I was like, so what am I supposed to do the rest of the week? And he's like, cold call. And I was like, I don't have business cards. He's like, well, I'll give you the template, go to FedEx, get some temp cards printed. And he goes, you know how to talk to people, right? Because that immediately, I was like, I don't know the technology. I mean, I, like I obviously I can bullet point a couple of things that I've just read from brochures, but I was like, I don't know anything yet. Like, you know, do you think it's a smart idea? It's like, well, you know how to talk to people, right? You know how to cold call. And I, and I was like, that's a good point. You know, and that's actually the, it's one of the things I first say to people, because even in our junior rep position, like they're always like so overwhelmed and thinking they've got to know everything right away. And you don't like, it's okay. Like when you first start with a, with a company to tell people you don't know, but I'll get you that answer. Yeah. And a lot of times people try to BS their way through it. And I'm just not one of those people. John, he would put a very big emphasis on the team environment and leaning on your peers mm -hmm. and told me to just be a sponge. And he uses me as a reference a lot because you know, I did just that. I looked and I interacted with a lot of people on my team that was really successful. 
mm-hmm. and I molded it into my own. I made sure that I took bits and pieces away from everything or everybody and what I liked about them. But then I made it completely into my own. And then I didn't try to do too much. I used reference calls. I built my own network of people to start utilizing and jumped on calls. I mean, when I didn't have an answer, I got them on the phone with the peer and let them connect with them, let them answer all the questions that were a little bit more difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And I think being honest, that to me, I think is probably the biggest thing is I'm very, very blunt. Sometimes I think most people, if they're in front of them, like they're worried about hurting somebody's feelings or upsetting somebody. Where with me, like they know they're going to get a very honest answer, good, bad, ugly, they're going to get the truth. And I think in our industry, there's a long running joke. Best way to get rid of a laser rep is to buy from them. Yeah. So you hear a lot of my competitors specifically, they're always saying, oh, post-sale support, post-sale support, but then they don't follow through on it. Like I'm never going to over-promise anything. I'm big on under-promising and then over-deliver on that department. And that's, that's something I think, you know, once I usually make people a customer, like they're loyal, most of them. This industry, sometimes it can be different because they are always evolving and coming out with new technology and saying it's always the latest and greatest. You know, I think the one thing that people realize that there's got to be a reason that I've been with the same company for five years, not just staying in this industry where reps tend to jump around every one to two years, but just the fact that I'm still with the same company, even, even if we're not launching products as much, it tells you how passionate I am about the technology and I really believe in it. And I think when I'm in front of accounts, they can see that too. And then uh, the other thing to me that I do as part of my pre-sale, and I actually heard about this. It's funny because Dave Pataka, he's my regional director now, one of the best managers I've ever worked for. He is exactly like me, like customer first, the rest will sort itself out. Believes in good karma, has your back as a salesperson, like he wants you to be happy, but he also like he 110% supports you with making sure that, that customer support that is first. And that to me is the biggest piece because when I'm going through any, any sales purchase, I put myself in the customer's shoes because I've had, I've had horrible experiences when I've purchased things. Hell, I'm still dealing with it right now. I finished my basement, paid $73,000 to finish that basement. And I'm still dealing with the general contractor from almost two years ago and getting that final inspection. Mm. It's been a massive headache. And I'm like all the money I spent and I'm thinking about how expensive these devices are, what kind of customer support would I want? You know, sometimes I'm told that I get a little too emotionally involved. I don't see it as a bad thing because I'm following through on everything I said I was going to do. And I also think about the lost revenue, you know, and like how frustrated a patient might be. Like, because I know how I would be if I was a patient, I paid for a treatment. And all of a sudden the system's going down for maybe a second time, you know, so that's where I'm able to differentiate myself, you know, and I really think one of the takeaways that I got when I first heard about Dave Pataka was I heard that there was a rep in South Florida, heard this from my uh, teammate that actually started getting referral letters and it was part of his pre-sale. And I think he uses it even post-sale too, just to kind of remind people, you know, I actually started doing the same thing. I, I started waiting a few months when I first started getting a few sales and a few new partnerships with a few of my doctors or med spas that I was working with. I started asking them for recommendation letters. Like I usually would wait until they needed something post-sale just so they could see that I did everything that I said I was going to do. 
I'm not a rep that I'm not going to you know, type up a letter and have them sign it. Like I've had a couple of accounts that have actually said, Hey, if you write it, I'll sign it. And I refuse. Like if you're not willing to you know, take a couple of minutes you know, to write what your experience has been like, then I don't need your recommendation letter. And that to me is part of my sales process. I actually have my sales book underneath my laptop right now that goes in my laptop bag every time I go into an initial meeting. Because I really like when I start getting in the conversation of post-sales support and all the things that I focus heavily on. And because uh, sometimes it's a price conversation and I have to remind them of the value of the time that I spend away from my wife. So my time is just as valuable. So I have to remind them of why and showing them recommendation letters and seeing what other people think about me, um, I think says a lot. I think that breaks down the wall a lot of times. Because sometimes I think I can be a little too serious, you know, because I, I have to set that expectation at the initial meeting. But, you know, I think people immediately get comfortable when they see what other their peers say about me. So I think when people can have those references to refer back to, I think that's equally as important. You know, and I think that's a big part of my success. That's why I enjoy doing it. I think having a broad portfolio that I believe in where you know, it's not just one product that people can come to me for. I think having a lot of other gaps that I can help them fill for their patient needs, I think is another big piece of it. And it can be overwhelming. I mean, I went, I went through a lot of change just even the first year. So trying to go from two body products to 13 devices in our portfolio, it was a lot, lot to learn. And I kind of went from where I started at the beginning of March, 2016, Going to January 2017, our national sales meeting, I had to learn all these new products again. I started hearing all these wavelengths. I remember Chris uh, P, he actually is in New York. I was telling him this story when our mid-year sales meeting last, I think it was the week before last. He was actually doing a presentation on our B-beam and he was talking about poikloderma sabat. And I remember keying onto that word or those two words. And I was like, I'm never going to be able to say that. Like I was so overwhelmed by those type of details. In addition to hearing all these like 755 nanometer, 1064 nanometer wavelengths, is like, oh my God, it's like, how am I ever going to learn this? I remember texting my wife and I, it was two hour sessions, the entire national sales meeting of just trying to learn products because we just restructured our divisions. I was so overwhelmed and I just went back to how I started with the company, use my resources. Like I, we had teammates that were willing to get on calls that had been here a while. We had peers that were willing to get on calls. And then also telling people, hey, I don't know. Let, let me get an answer for you. I will get back to you either same day or next day. I'm following through on that. And it's okay to tell somebody you don't know. And that's, that's something I, I have that conversation daily with my junior reps is sometimes they worry about trying to know too much right away. And I tell them to leverage their resources because it, it is overwhelming and you want to do well. You're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. There's also external pressures personally that you probably are adding to that to where you feel like you got to know everything at once and you don't. So that's probably the biggest thing that I, I really did really well is making sure that I didn't try to overwhelm myself and use my resources. Surviving Outside Sales podcast is brought to you by Rhythm AI. If you are in outside sales, check out RhythmAI.com. That's R-I-T-H-M-A-I.com. The sales enablement tool that will help outside sales teams build their best sales days every day. Rhythm, prospecting 
targeting and routing simplified. Everything an outside sales team needs, nothing it doesn't. Try for $1 for the first month today. That's rhythmai.com. Now back to the show. I was taking a lot of notes because I think this is such good stuff. And I actually learned a couple things. You can sell anybody, anything, anytime, one time. The old phrase is, oh, he's so good or she's so good. They sold a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. Yeah. Well, you know what they didn't do? Sell that woman again, anything, because they lost all credibility. Yeah. And so you can have a sale, but one sale does not a career in sales make. Unless you sold something that you made like a couple million dollars and you retired or you reinvested it. But for most people making one sale now with lasers, you're making, you know, five figure commissions on sales, but you had to build up to that. Most people lower level, you sold one Xerox. Would you make? I remember I was, I was happy with the thousand dollar commission at one yeah. point. And then I, and I sold a pretty big order not long before I left the company that I, I actually should have made more than I did, but I think it was about 17,000. It was like, this deal took me two years of just like assessments, mm-hmm. going to like 10, 11 locations. Yeah. I did all the work. I was very cumbersome, mm-hmm. you know, hours on the road. And it's just funny because now like, you know, like I don't get out of bed for that dollar amount. <laughs> exactly. But the key thing is you mentioned, and I've said this before, and it's one of the things that I was trained on, under-promising and over-delivering. If you focus on that as a salesperson, that is a great foundation from two people. Kent just mentioned it. And that's the thing that I've done as well. If you underpromise and you overdeliver, you're never going to catch yourself holding the bag. You're never going to look like a hypocrite. And that reputation is going to follow you that that person knows how to deliver. And, you know, I learned something from you. I I never have done a pre-sale before like a pre-sale strategy and you do. And that's fantastic. That is, I'm going to start using that. And I've done recommendation letters in the past, but I have succumbed because they say, well, I'm too busy. You write it. And now when you're telling the story, I just realized how I failed in that because they, it's not genuine. You know, if I write it, yeah. Yeah. If somebody reaches out to them and says, oh, hey, yeah. yeah, Oh, I see, you know, I got this letter from Mike. And then they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If they didn't write it, they don't know what was in it. And so I'm definitely going to change that in my formula. So it goes back. Yeah. It goes back to like the honest, honesty piece of it. And like Mm -hmm. to me, like maybe to my own de- detriment, like, you know, I just can't, I, I feel like I'm misleading. But if, if I present that to somebody and they, they actually didn't write it and I wrote it, I feel like that right there would play out in the back of my head. And, and that's probably the one quality of myself that I've just always been that way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe honest, too honest to a fault, you know, cause sometimes, sometimes people don't appreciate my honesty, especially if you ask my family members, cause I can be pretty blunt. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, I think it's a, it really, really important, you know, to be able to do that and have that as a reference. You know, the other thing I do on the pre-sales, just since you brought that up is we went through a pretty extensive, and I was taught to do a lot of this stuff on questions I knew to like ask, like even, even some copiers, but we had a really cool disc profile training when I was actually early on into starting with Candela. And it was very focused on the psychology aspect of the different, like four different types of personalities that you dealt with. And in doing so, you just start to create certain lists of questions that you just know to ask. And that's part of your like pre-planning, you know, for any upcoming calls you have or sales meetings you have. 
And it's just amazing because it really works. And you can deal with a lot of egos. So you can deal with people that want to please, that are people pleasers, and kind of figuring out who your audience is and being prepared. It forces you to do a lot of things, but it, it all starts becoming pretty second nature for me. You know, I, mean, I can go to a website now and identify the type of person I'm dealing with. Yeah, it's very interesting. Is there a book you recommend that talks about this or any kind of resource? Or is this just provided to you by your company? So they actually, there was a, a third-party consultant that came in. And you actually, if you look it up, you can actually find a disk profile just by Google searching it. You should okay. be able to find it pretty easily. Warren Odette is actually the consultant. And I, I actually really enjoyed him because I got thrusted into like the advanced selling component, like mm -hmm. in a group setting where we actually had to pick an account and talk through all the different levels of contacts that we're dealing with because they always say to be three deep and three wide. Okay. Well, when I was selling copiers, I mean, I called, I mean, I was very focused on basically like major accounts for, for healthcare. So I already ha had that kind of strategy anyways, because I was calling on CEOs, CF, materials management, purchasing a lot of different levels of contacts. But now I saw like there, there's actually a more important role of the influencer with all these different level of contacts. And so we actually just had to go through that and talk about all the different contacts we had, where we were in the process and got a lot of feedback. And then the following day, we actually went to kind of sales 101 and we developed a list of questions based on the different personalities that we were dealing with. And then you start learning, like once you see it actually work, then you start coming up with other questions that you know are good questions to ask this type of person. And I would say you get it from used car salesmen, they do all the talking. There's a lot of people in my industry, they're big talkers. I'm really not. I will control a room when needed. And, and I fit on the very, I was at very high. It was actually, I was the only person that when they had us do the survey that actually fit, I was very high on the spectrum. It was like a combination of uh, D and I. I'm very dominant when I need to be, but I also, I can listen. And I'm really good on asking just a few really good questions. and we'll spend 45 minutes in a room and I've said maybe five sentences because they just start talking. You know, people want to talk. That's why they're there. They want to, especially depending on your audience, they want to talk about their successes. They want to talk about their business because that's their baby. And they also want to talk about how they got there and what they failed at because they want to teach you. And, and I like to learn. I like to learn from a lot of people. And, you know, it also tells me a lot about who they are and how they make business decisions. Yeah, so it helps guide me. And I, I try not to give too much of my secrets away because I'm probably going to share this podcast. I'm sure some of my customers will, will hear it, but that's okay. I mean, they know I'm genuine, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But I enjoy like having good conversations with them and uh, learning a lot about their business. And what what's just crazy is the amount of information you can learn from just a few key questions, knowing who your audience is going to be in that room. And that's something I really talk to my junior reps about is just being prepared. I mean, even going into a cold call, like mm -hmm. if you don't know, like several different points of contact, it will make me go crazy. If you can't tell me who a mid-level provider is, how long they've been there, who the practice manager is. I mean, even if it's not on the website, you can go to Facebook, you can go to Instagram, you can go to LinkedIn. There's so many different avenues to be able to find information. That just tells me that if you're not taking the time to plan your route and do that research ahead of time, or even the five minutes before you go in somewhere, mm -hmm. then 
we're wasting each other's time, you know, because it, it makes a big difference because, hey, if you're going straight to ask for the doctor, you're probably not going to get the doctor's time right away. But how about I ask for the nurse who maybe has a break in between seeing patients, you know, and ask quality questions about their business, not just about lasers or whatever, whatever it is you're trying to sell somebody or want them to invest in. That's the last thing you should be asking about. Exactly. And so let me interject real quick. My pre-sale is a little bit different than yours. So I love hearing how you yeah. do yours, but I, I still yeah. do the same thing. I search out their social media. And one of the things mm -hmm. that always kills me is when I ask people, I said, well, who's your competition? They'll always list people within their category. And so you know, when I start a job, I'm like, all right, who's our competition? Like, how, how does this whole process work? When I started with the, in the aesthetic industry, my competition was dollars. My competition. You're competing for dollars. Yeah. I'm competing for dollars. So everybody was my competition. Now yeah. you weren't because our products were used after your service. Yeah. They were, they were, but all those skincare reps, I wasn't selling skincare. I was selling post-procedure products, but guess what? The money that they were going to spend or they budgeted towards purchasing a product to sell in their clinic, it was either going to go to skincare or it was going to go to me. It's also them not making a decision and right. not buying anything. And so yeah. a lot of times when people think of competition, it's like, oh, there's another laser rep. No, it's everybody that walks in that door. You're, yeah. Yeah. you're competing for their time. You're competing for their dollars. You're competing for shelf space. You're competing for a lot of different things. And so what I would do is, I would, yeah, scanning social media. It, and I believe it's never been easier to learn more about your, your prospects than it gets easier every yeah. single day because of websites. You can go onto the website and you can look at the doctor's bio or you can look at the office manager's bio, yeah. whoever your target's bio is and see if there's any commonalities. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you went to the same school as one of your existing customers or LinkedIn connection, you know, like there's, there's a lot of different windows yeah. that you can connect the dots. Yeah. Exactly. And also if you, you walk into an office, one of the biggest things I would do, and I don't know if you do this as well, but this is how I was trained as I walk in the people at the front desk, they get mistreated more times than not than anybody else yeah. in that office. Yeah. And so if you're just nice and you ask them about their day, it goes a long way. It What it does right, is yeah. their guard down. It doesn't mean you're going to get in, but you can find out a lot of information. One of the questions that I like, and I want to see what your thought is, you walk up and if you can't get in, you ask the person who's at the front desk, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? And every time I ask that, they kind of look back like, oh, well, i tell you what, let me give you the cell phone number of the office manager. What I would do is call, leave a message and let them know that you got the number from me. And it's amazing how all of a sudden now an answer and an avenue presented itself that wasn't yeah, yeah. before. Yeah. So it's funny because you know, you know why that is, is because when you're thinking about humans and the interaction like people do want to help naturally, like they want to help other people. And that was something that I was actually going to bring up. Like, I'm probably going to take that away because that I've used that in the past numerous times when I was new or even just like newer in a territory, I was always playing up like the new card. Oh, you yeah. know? And, it, <laughs> and it's funny because I would have, I would have gatekeepers though, that when I would come up and talk to them, yeah, they wouldn't even make eye contact. I mean, I remember one specifically in Eastern Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Like I was la laughing about this the other day because she did not even 
look up at all in our direction. I told her I was new. I was hoping she could help me. And, and I told her what, what I was trying to accomplish and immediately stops what she's doing. I mean, she's gone for like 15 minutes. I see her walking back and forth, trying to track somebody down. And I was like, oh my God, you know, and, and she's somebody that like probably doesn't get up out of that chair very often. And it was just that side of it, of her just wanting to help. It, it just completely changed your mindset. But like, I like what you've said too, is that's something too, where I, even, even on a call, like, let's say if I didn't have that conversation with the gatekeeper, or maybe she's new because she just replaced Sally or whoever that I used to talk to. I might have that conversation on the phone too. Look, hey, I've tried this, this, and this. You know, what do you think about this option? Like, I'll, I'll actually bounce an idea off of them because then they feel even more valuable. You know, asking and if their, they like you're you, asking their opinion exactly. Yeah. Everybody, and if they like you, they want to help. Yeah, mm-hmm. they like you, they want to help. You know, any way that they can, they might be careful on how much information they give you because they're like, hey, I don't want to get in trouble you know, kind of thing, because maybe they can't give out everything, but they do want to help. I think that's something that people tend to forget about the human element, that people still do want to help people, even though a lot of things go on in, in the news and it seems like there's a lot of hate in the world, but you know, there's still a lot of really good people here. And I think if you can not be a jerk when you're coming in the door and they actually like you, I think that's important. Kind of a takeaway is being prepared, under-promising, over-deliver, focusing on a system to pre-sell, utilizing your resources. And one thing you didn't talk about, but I know from our previous conversations, you're super consistent. You don't gun it for a week and then let off the gas. It is consistent performance year over year. And that is one of the things that burns a lot of people out of direct sales is it's pressing at the end of a quarter and then pressing at the end of the next quarter and then pressing at the end. And all of a sudden, year over year over year, it just completely stresses you out. I was going to say the other thing you know, to do with that and just like being consistent is uh, I live and die by my calendar. Everything's like color coded. If it's a cold call prospect, they're like it's highlighted in green. If it's an appointment, it's highlighted in blue. And my calendar is planned out, I mean, for weeks and having that routine and it, and even with the prospecting, it's just funny because when I have conversations with my junior reps, I'm like, how do you keep track of this? They're like, well, I go in Salesforce and there's a, there's a task waiting on me. Well, do you always just open that and you check like in between every single prospecting, like say, Hey, what's next? Like, no, you don't. But if you can get a 15 minute alert ahead of time or the next alert, because, Hey, you just missed this, but in your calendar from your phone, that's how I manage and keep track. Sometimes it's the devil in the details of trying to like, you know, keep track of everything. The only way I can do it is if it's on my calendar already or else I'm not committed to it. I think that's how I'm able to stay consistent or else anytime like don't, don't like this, we had to plan out for it and make sure we had a schedule. I prepared to block off more time because I figured we would talk beforehand. I figured this would probably go longer than we planned. Yeah. <laughs> is, is it hard for me? I have two screens right now. Like, do I, I want to keep looking at this? But I try to make sure this it's funny because I was listening to podcasts earlier is actually, I don't know if you've ever heard the Pat McAfee podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so Pat, Pat and I used to party together in college at West Virginia. So I know, I know him well, but he actually just had Phil Nicholson on there and he was talking about Tom Brady. One of the things that he took away from him is like when he goes into whatever it is he's doing, and this is actually something like I just reminded myself that I need to make sure that I'm constantly doing more of. Is being present in whatever it is that I'm doing. 
I don't think about anything else other than what it is that I'm doing at that time, whether that's personal and professionally, because my mind goes 100 miles an hour. I'm an adult ADHD. So I can be thinking about 15 other things and thinking about the next thing, like why I'm doing something right then. And and I need to make sure that I wrangle myself in and, and do a better job of that. I mean, I think I do a good job despite all the distractions, but if I could tell anybody, just make sure that they stay present, make sure that they're focused on whatever it is that they're doing at that time versus thinking about everything else is going on or what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. No, it's very important. I do the same thing and it's focusing on what you have as opposed to thinking about the next deal and the next deal and the next yeah. deal. And yeah, I think also when you're beating your head against the wall, like sometimes it takes that, like, cause I think it also lets people know that, you know, you have a sense of humor. That's mm-hmm. what I like about social media now is, you know, I get a lot of people that first time they see me, they already know who I am because my Instagram, because they followed me, but they also see my, my face has been on Buddy the Elf. So like being able to break down that barrier so they see that you can be corny, corny and cheesy, mm-hmm. they let you know that you're probably somebody they, they like to be around. Yeah. You know, so they're more open to actually having a conversation with you before completely shutting it down. Absolutely. You know, it is prepare how others won't and do what others are not willing to do. Right. Exactly. A lot of salespeople, I know you have two where it's just, if your company's not paying for something, they won't do it. And I said, okay, well, if I, if I get into an account that might give me a five figure commission check, and the only way to get in there was to be nice to somebody, or if it was a $10 gift card, would you do it? And every salesperson would say, yes, great. I'm willing to buy that on my own. I'm willing to, and I'm not, I'm doing it and not trying to get anything out of it. Right. Access. And if it doesn't work, I don't care. You know, I did something nice for somebody. If it didn't lead to anything, I'm not thinking, oh, I just wasted $10. No, you didn't. Now I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't go out and spend a thousand dollars on gift cards and just throw gift cards everywhere. So it's targeted, but. Unless you want your wife to kill you. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> She's going to say, wait a minute. Yeah. I think you're investing a little bit too much, but yeah. I really do appreciate the time. There's one more big topic I want to talk about social media and how you've used social media to, to create a lead generation where a lot of people, and especially in, in the medical industry, they're not doing it right. Talk about where you've had success yeah. and then what avenues, yeah. how you're using that and where you think it's going. Yeah. So it's funny because when I was first realigned, you know, when we restructure our divisions, I actually started reporting to my buddy, the one I went to college with, and he got promoted. And we were on the same region. It was the Mid-Atlantic region. And we were actually at our sales meeting that we had. We were in Virginia. And I remember, I think I had started like an Instagram account and like I created a Facebook, which is funny because I had just gotten rid of my personal right before I started with the company, because I was like, I'm so tired of seeing all the negativity on news feeds and mm-hmm. everything else. Well, the reason I started a Facebook page was because I would start going to websites and products and services wouldn't be listed on there or mm-hmm. new team members wouldn't be listed on there. And I was actually also one of the first ones that actually like got LinkedIn. So I ha- I've had LinkedIn since I think 2010 or 2012. And I actually was granted early access to Sales Navigator. I still pay like $49.95 a month or something because wow. they just honored that fee and it never increased on me at all. Mm-hmm. And I continue to pay it. And so I was pretty early adopter to that. And I still wasn't using that to its full capabilities. I'm getting better at that. But I the Instagram and Facebook piece actually came because 
I started realizing that accounts were updating when they would have new products and they would get new employees. I could also find other email addresses that weren't readily available or easy to find. It might've been a personal email address or maybe more generic, or at least it's getting filtered and going to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing it that way and started to eventually become a little bit more active. I would repost some things. I didn't even know how to repost when I was nominated to be our mid-Atlantic like marketing, like social media guy, because they started hearing how Florida was doing it at the yeah. time. They had a whole team, the whole team had access to it and they would repost things and, and we're already starting to dabble in it. Well, I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, like I want to be better than them because I heard that they were doing a whole presentation on social media and marketing. I said, I want to be better than that. And initially I didn't realize how much was involved. I really didn't know the structure, like how to get followers the, the right way. I didn't even know how to use the repost app because I started seeing people that were reposting. I had to ask the guy that was a junior rep on our team, even though he was about the same age as me. So I saw you reposted that. Like, what is that? Like, how do you do that? He showed me the app, like download this. Here's what you do. And I'll be honest with you. Like, I also just thought I would follow as many people as humanly possible. Like I, like whoever had a thousand plus followers and more, I would just start liking their comments or liking their posts. And I, I thought that was the quickest way to actually get a reaction. I had to do a lot of pivoting and shifting. Like, and I just like kind of look back on it because I laugh and I'm like, man, if I knew what I knew now, like, cause I'm still in the process on Instagram. I, I capped down at how many people I was following at 7,500. Now I'm down to, I think it's like 4,000, like 4,200 and some change, but I'm still dwindling through that list because there's a lot of people like, how did I ever even end up following this person? Mm-hmm. You know, and, but as I was doing that, we, we actually had a practice marketing partner that we started using. And I, I heard a lot of feedback from one of my customers about how great this like particular campaign was that we had for one of our devices. I thought we were doing it internally. I didn't realize we were outsourcing it with a consumable order. They were getting like 90 day of geo-targeted ads through, through some company. I found that out like kind of the end of last or end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And I started thinking about this and like, man, this is a lot of freaking work, you know, like what else can I do? Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, I'm willing to invest on myself. Cause I'm thinking not just like expanding the Candela brand, my brand, you know, like Kent, cause at, at the end of the day, and, and my RD is awesome about this too. Like he likes to remind people internally, like it's not just Candela. Like people aren't just coming and buying because it's Candela technology. There are 15 other companies in the market now. It's way more competitive than it's ever been, mm-hmm. but it's, they're buying from Kent. They're buying, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And everything that I promised them, you know, and, and that's also something that I'm just finding, you know, the impact that it's had. Like I, I started outsourcing to a company called Aesthetics Integrity Group to help me with some of the creative content, you know, like some of it, like once they realized that it was fair game, I started this in December. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that put my head on a buddy of the elf, mm-hmm. you know, and when they realized I didn't care, they started encompassing things, but they're also holding my feet to the fire because I know where my strengths are. Like, I'm not afraid to be in front of the camera. It took some refinement because one thing about me too is maybe to my own detriment, I'm, I'm judgmental, you know, and I'm a work in progress, but I also am, I'm hypercritical of myself. So being on social media and shooting videos, like, I critique every little thing that I do. And so there was a lot of pausing and realizing that, okay, it doesn't have to be perfect. 
Yeah. You know, but showing a different side of myself and, and also being funny with putting my face on a lot of these other images, it's gotten people's attention. So I started outsourcing that, you know, to get some additional help for Instagram and figuring out how to connect, you know, Instagram to Facebook. I couldn't even figure that out. Like yeah. that was a whole nother <laughs> issue. She yeah. kind of came in and did it in two minutes. And so I started coming up with the schedule that I have these Thursday three segments. And since then evolved that into a, build out my own website because another problem we were having no fault of my inside sales team, but they're so focused on consumables now and not as much capital that sometimes things can get lost in transition. And Mm -hmm. what I didn't want to have happen is me do all the work creating this content and then still always going to that website and maybe just going into the abyss. So I wanted those leads that I, I directly had an impact on to come to me. So we built out a website. Now we had started this YouTube channel. And I also have started developing a, have a constant contact with an email campaign that goes out every two weeks mm-hmm. with, a, with a new video or maybe a more specific topic because all these videos I created, like there's a lot of them that we're going back and like, hey, well, let's use this one. Yeah, because we haven't used it yet to start getting more brand awareness that's part of the campaign. And then of course, everything that I create, I also post on LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm noticing a difference. I mean, I've been in a room a couple months ago with an account that I've never met in person. She immediately, the, the owner actually goes, when they go to introduce me, they're like, Ken. And I said, yeah. And she's like, harsh partner. You know, she had that look where she's trying to figure it out. And she wasn't sure where she knew me from. She goes, it's from social media. Like immediately, never met her in person, but she remembers following me on all my posts. And I actually had to call the marketing company because I was like, you guys are going to love this. You know, because that tells me, you know, that I'm finally at that point where I created a brand. But to take it a step further, the esthetician that was in the room, mm-hmm. when I reacted like, oh, my God, do you know me from that? That's how you remember my name and who I am. That, that esthetician was like, everybody knows who you are because a lot of people follow you mm-hmm. and I was shocked to hear that it allowed me to realize how impactful like building your own brand through social media even though I hate it at times yeah you know, it, it's good and bad it's a lot of work you know and I think if for the people that are willing to commit to it I mean I'm getting a lot of questions internally from our chief commercial officer like they want me to do a presentation now and I, I think as much as I equip people with all the information of things that I'm doing because now I've I've also learned a lot along the way on how to create images and creative content and adding text into videos and doing a lot of things that, you know, it's it's time consuming. And what I realized that this is probably where I differ from a lot of sales reps is I will help you. I will give you as much information as possible, even though I'm super competitive. I also know that I'm one of the few people that are willing to actually put in the work to actually do all this stuff. So yeah, I'll provide you with all the information you want but I'm still going to end up being at the top and being one of the top reps because I'm willing to actually do all this stuff that I'm talking about doing. So Instagram, like you and I talked about before, TikTok, I'm, we'll see if, if I get on board with that, but you know, the <laughs> well, YouTube channel, web, website, Instagram, it's all, all really important. You know, and I've also started, uh, I outsourced the Legion campaign through, through LinkedIn now. So I have a new, dashboard you know that i go in and access and get replies and 
the automated campaigns, I helped have, I helped actually tweak a lot of the messaging based around who my target audience was, you know, and I've also made a lot new contacts. So it's also to generate a lot of new email addresses. I outsourced another email campaign to get new contacts, like through that same uh, lead, lead gen consultant group. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm looking for every available scenario or resource to get an edge. And I, I would say for me, I'm a dad. I would say that's probably my biggest thing is I'm always looking for that. I listen to podcasts all the time. I'm always trying to be better and I'm adapting. And I think where a lot of people, some of the old dogs, even in this industry, they're not willing to, they want to keep doing it their own way. But eventually they'll probably get swallowed up and spit out. And unfortunately you have to adapt and and get involved in social media. The most dangerous sentence in the uh, English language is we've always done it this way. So that's yeah, yeah, God, it makes me crazy. Yeah. And so a lot of things you said, 100% agree with you. Kent Harshbarger is a brand. And yeah, if you left Candela today, your your business does not dry up. Right. Now, if you go to a new industry, you're going to have to recreate that. But if you went and sold something else in the aesthetic world, they would just follow you. That yeah. is what people mean by a brand. Now, there is a company brand where com- people are loyal to the brand of the company, mm-hmm. but it's also they trust you. Because of all the things we've talked about in this episode so far, you underpromise, overdeliver. You're very blunt and honest with them. You don't lie to them. You're not just trying to sell them. So they don't feel like you are a salesperson. They feel like you're a business partner. And so you've also figured out it comes down to the consistency and just doing it. And you're definitely obviously ahead. And I think we're going to wrap up there. It's been an unbelievable conversation. So I, I, people can connect with you on LinkedIn. I'm going to put your handles are going to be on the video and I'm going to put in the show notes as well. Your LinkedIn, your YouTube channel. You also mentioned your own website. So uh, tell everybody what that website is. Yeah. So it's just, it's kentharshbarger.com. It's simple, easy to remember. Yes. And we'll put the correct spelling so you you get there and we'll put a link in the notes. So Kent, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Go follow Kent on LinkedIn, YouTube, and go to his website. If you're in the medical industry and you want to know more about his technology, you've got to give him a call as well. Let everybody know where, where your territory exactly is because you, you do have a large territory. Yeah. So I cover North Carolina, all of North Carolina. I cover all of West Virginia and I cover all of, all of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So I kind of re-inherited Kentucky, you know, pre, right before COVID. So if you're in North Carolina, if you're in an aesthetic office and you're in North Carolina, you're in Kentucky, you were in West Virginia, you've got to give him a call. And if you like this, if you like the show, subscribe to the Surviving Outside Sales podcast as well. We'd love to have you and give us any comments on how we can make the show better. Thank you so much, Kent. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you have a great day. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care.